All right, I want you to think about th- this morning the word humble. When, when you think of someone who is humble, who, who, not in this room maybe, but someone out of this room, who comes to mind when you think of humility? Just kind of take a scroll through your, you know, your coworkers, family members, neighbors. When you think of the word humble, like this person is humble, like who would come to mind? It's like if you were to ask me when, when I was a teenager, um, who is humble in my mind? Uh, it was this guy who worked at uh, Foodland near my house. Uh, he was a, um, I, I knew him because his, um, his son, same grade as me, went to high school together. And I worked at Foodland for a little while, bagging groceries. Uh, and he worked as a produce, in the produce department. So he'd be spraying down the fruits and vegetables. Uh, he'd be organizing them, making it all nice at Foodland. And um, he struck me as humble. He was super quiet. He always smiled. If you were in a, if you're in the break room, he, he he was almost never talking. But when he did talk, it was always like with a very gentle voice. See someone always smiling with a gentle voice, never really asserting himself, just kind of there. So that was my view of like, okay, if there's someone that's humble, that's that's got to describe him. So think about that person that, that you think is humble in, in your life. Now, why would that person be humble? What qualities are you looking for in that person? Do you see in that person that you would say, okay, that person is humble? You know, I think one of the, the, the big misunderstandings of, of just Christian character is that characteristic of humility. Because the world has a totally different picture of what humility looks like what humility is. So for example, um, the world sees humility as someone that is, um, you know, just, just really quiet. It right? doesn't really speak out. Oh, so they must be humble. Like, look, they're, they're never trying to be, they're never trying to assert themselves. We can view uh, humility as someone that's always avoiding the spotlight. Like at the workplace, they, they never want to be the one running the meeting. They never want to be the one that, that, that's speaking in front of the group. In fact, if you try to get them to, do, you know, to speak in front of the group, they'll just kind of say, no, 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 not me. I don't want to do that. They're always deferring to someone else. Others see um, humility right, as, as someone that's always deflecting praise. Deflecting praise. Right, so if you say, wow, that, that dish that you cooked, it was so good. And that person that we think is humble will say, no, it's not me. It's the ingredients. It's the ingredients that's good. Wow, like you scored so good on that school test. You're so smart. No, 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 the test is easy. Everybody scored good. We say, that's humble. Because look, they're always kind of deflecting the praise uh, to somebody else or to something else. Right? Other people think humility is never receiving from other people because they don't want to be uh, make them inconvenient, right? So if you offer them a ride, they're always saying, no, 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 I don't want to inconvenience you. That's so out of the way, so humbug, so humbug. And they're always, you try to give them something and they'll always give you something back because they feel like they inconvenienced you in some kind of way. And we'd say, wow, that's humble. They're never wanting to accept help because they don't want to inconvenience others. Right, so we get all these kind of pictures of what humility could look like, but what we're going to do this morning is we're going to see, okay, what does Scripture say about humility? 
Right? What does gospel humility look like? As we get in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We've been reading about this church right, that's been pretty uh, fractured. They've been breaking themselves off into different groups, kind of championing their favorite preachers and, and teachers. There are some people in the church saying, man, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's our guy. Other people say, no, you know, it's, it's, it's Peter, it's Cephas, it's Apollos, he's our guy. Right? And so they're kind of fractured. They're divisive towards each other. They're competing with one another. And so Paul's going to speak to them about, man, you know, a lot of the stuff you're dealing with, it, it comes out of pride. And we actually need, as a church, to be humble. Let's see what he says in verse 6. Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that they may learn from us the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant, right? proud, arrogant, looking down on each other, favoring one person over another. Right, so Paul is talking about, you know, like, again, these groups that are coming together and saying, we follow Paul. Others are saying, we follow Apollos. Right, the, the church had a wrong view, a distorted view of their spiritual leaders. And Paul's saying, right, don't go beyond what is written. What, what's he talking about there? He's talking about scripture, the Bible. Right, don't think and don't live beyond what the Bible says and what the Bible describes spiritual leaders to be. In the book of Psalms, for example, it says, Do not trust in nobles, in a son of man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. The Bible reminds us over and over not to put our trust, our ultimate trust, in other human beings. But that's what the church was doing. They're putting their trust, they're elevating their spiritual leaders and creating these little groups of competition around their spiritual leaders. And Paul's saying, don't go beyond what is written, what the scriptures say. So here's the first description of a humble person. It's they are submissive to scripture. They don't go beyond what is written, but they submit to God's word and they see God's word as an authority over their lives and over how they are even to think. Now, why would the Corinthians not submit to scripture? Well, it's the same reason why, why we tend right to not Listen to God's word, right? One reason is we believe that at times, right, that our way is better than God's way. So for example, God says, right, to to live generously. It is more blessed to give and to receive, but then we might think, no, it's better to just hoard more, right? That'll make life more enjoyable. We won't submit because we believe our way is better. Uh, Another reason why we won't submit is because we want to avoid suffering, and discomfort that comes with obeying the Lord. Right? God tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute. And when we hear that, we think, oh, I don't want to love my coworker. That's so weird and uncomfortable. I just don't want to do it. I don't want to suffer. So we don't want to go that route. A third reason we don't submit to God's word is because we, we, we think we're missing out on something better. We think that if we do it our way, we'll experience greater pleasure and joy. So, for example, God, God tells us that the beauty of, of sex right, is, is to be enjoyed and celebrated in the context of, of marriage right, between a man and a woman in a covenant relationship. 
but we'll think, no, we're, we're missing out, and so we don't want to stick according to those parameters. Right? We'll say excuses like, oh, the Bible is outdated when it comes to that area of our lives, so we don't need to follow that particular passage of Scripture. See, but a humble person doesn't rely on their own intuitions when it comes to how they should think or live. Because they know the Proverbs that says there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. But the humble person realizes their way of thinking leads them to death. They need God's way of thinking. They need God's word. They understand that God is the creator and, 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 and God has made them. And so they can trust that God knows what is best for them, even if their feelings and their preferences is in contradiction to what God has said. The humble person doesn't focus on their beliefs and preferences, but says, no, Scripture, God's Word. That's the way to go. They're submissive to Scripture. Second description of a humble person is they see everything as a gift from God. They see everything as a gift from God. Let's look at verse 7. He says, For who makes you so superior? What do you have, church, right, that you didn't receive? If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? Right, Paul wants the church to think about what God has given them in their lives. He wants them to see that God is the source of every blessing. Even their spiritual leaders are a gift from God. Their spiritual gifts are a gift from God. Their salvation is a gift from God. Everything that they've received is a blessing. See, and when we see life that way, then there's really nothing we can brag about, boast about, be prideful about, because God is the giver of everything. Now, a person might say, and maybe we might even say, right, well, the job I got, I earned it. I worked hard. I paid off my, my schooling for it. I earned it. And how can you say that? That is a gift from God. Well, think about it this way, right? Think about it this way. Imagine if God placed us, instead of being born in this time, what if God placed us instead and we were born 2,000 years ago in a remote village where the main occupations was fishing, farming, agriculture? All right, we didn't determine when we were born. What if God placed us there? Well, we wouldn't be working that job that we're, we're holding so much pride about, right? We could have been born in some sort of caste system where no matter how much we did, how talented we were, even our talents are a gift from God, we would never break out of that social standing that we were in. He could have placed us there, right? And so even where we were born, the family we were born into, the opportunities we were given for schooling, all those things are ultimately a gift from God. So really any, anything that we can say, I earned it. We can really connect it. If we think about it, we can connect it to, actually, you know, that was God's grace. He gave me those relationships that helped me get to where I am. He gave me the skills he gave me the mental capabilities, the, the emotional capabilities, the social skills in order to navigate the things that, that, that we're in. Every single thing, right, ultimately is a gift from God. And when, when we realize that more and more our pride, right, goes down as we see how much God has blessed us. And Paul, so Paul's asking the church that question, right? Who, you, you received everything. 
Right? So why do you act as if you, you earned it? Humility sees everything as a gift. Third description of humility is it enables us to be radically generous. Right? Practicing radical generosity. Look at verse 8. Paul says, you're already full. You're already rich. You have begun to reign as kings without us, and I wish you did reign so that we could also reign with you. Now, hard to say, you know, is Paul being lovingly sarcastic here? He could be. Or is Paul just saying here, you're already rich in Christ. You're already full. Why are you running after these other things? Hard to say what angle Paul's taking. But here's what he says, right? For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place, like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and the people. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. Wow. Paul is showing this contrast between the Corinthian church and himself and the apostles. The Corinthians were kind of secure and content in and of themselves, but I think it was a false sense of security. While the apostles and Paul, they were struggling, they were suffering in, in following Jesus. While the Corinthians seemed to be wanting to avoid any kind of suffering. And, and, and this difference of, of these two different lives, you know, should have provoked the Corinthians to really question whether they're living the way that they're supposed to be living. Because it was such a stark difference. Kind of like, uh, you know, when, when, when your friend goes to a restaurant and they, they try a dish from that restaurant and they come back and they say to you, you got to eat this dish, right? That that steak or that salad or that, that pasta, it's so good, it's tasty, it's flavorful, it's juicy, you got to have it. So you go to that restaurant, right, and you order that dish and you eat it, and it's the opposite, right? It's terrible, it's dry, uh, it has no taste at all. And then you think to yourself, okay, wait, maybe I ordered the wrong, maybe we're eating two different dishes, Right? This couldn't have been the thing that I ordered. See, for, for, for Paul and, and the church, the church should have thought, you know, wait, what, what's going on here? We're living in this real comfortable, content situation while the apostles and Paul are, are suffering. Are we following the same Jesus? Are we following God the way we're supposed to? So they should have been asking themselves these questions. So Paul is drawing this out, showing, you know, like, we have two different outcomes here. And if the Corinthians think they're better than the apostles and Paul, that shouldn't be the case. But here, what we see is the, the apostles were able to be generous with their lives despite the suffering that they're going through. If we look back at the text, right, they're, they're hungry, they're poor, they're thirsty, they're roughly treated, they're working with their own hands, But look at the generosity in verse 12. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we respond graciously. Graciously. That's radical generosity. It's not being generous to just people we like and enjoy, 
but it's being generous to those who are your enemies. See, when we're operating in pride, when we're insulted, we insult back, right? For those of us who are more, you know, ah, you know like more strong personality, we, we insult back. For those of us who are maybe more passive, when we're assaulted, what do we do? Right? We avoid and we be passively aggressive. Right? Both are ways of pride because both focus on ourselves, right? And not on the Lord. That's what happens when we're operating in pride. But when we're humble, like Christ, when we are mistreated, we respond with blessing. Because it's not based upon how we feel or how we're being treated. But because we're so loved and accepted by Christ in whom we were once enemies towards Christ and yet he loved us and gave his life for us, now we're enabled by the Spirit to overlook the insult and to love and speak graciously to that family member who is rude to us, to that coworker who's not fair to us. We're able to respond with radical generosity. God has freed us to be able to do that. Paul gives us a, a practical example here in, in his letter to the Corinthians where humility enabled him to, to bless them even though they weren't reciprocating their love to him. Let's look at verse 14. Paul says this, he says, I'm not writing this to shame you. Right, so Paul's being strong, but the goal isn't embarrassment. But to warn you as my dear children, for you have many countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some are arrogant, as though I'm not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out, not the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod, or in love and a spirit of gentleness? Right? Paul was like a spiritual right, father to them, leading them to Christ. And he's warning them of their prideful way of thinking and calling them back to the gospel. But what I want us to notice here is how does Paul do this? He, he's honest, right? He's, he's honest, and that takes boldness, but he's also gracious in his honesty. That's another characteristic of a humble person. They're honest and they're, they're gracious doing it, they're gentle doing it, they're kind in doing it and loving. Honesty and graciousness. He speaks the truth in love. Or he reminds them, right? He's like a father to them. He cares for them like a father cares for and loves his children. So he comes with his tender heart. At the same time, he's not afraid to share difficult words with the Corinthians. See, when we operate in pride, we may share honest words with someone but in a more condescending way, in a way that kind of degrades them, makes them feel bad because we feel like maybe we're better than them. Or if they don't receive our words, right? if we're sharing honestly with someone and they don't, they're not receiving our words, right? in our pride, we'll get angry at them and then we'll start talking more harshly because we're hurt because they didn't 
take our advice and we'll blame them. We'll say, see, that's why you're in the position you're in because you didn't listen to me. When I taught middle school years ago, and I was teaching a lesson, I was teaching the kids something, one student yelled out in class in front of everybody, Mr. Han, you don't know what you're talking about. I was, I was insulted. I was angry. And it wasn't a righteous anger like, no, this is really good for you. This is going to benefit you. No, I was, I was selfishly angry. I was prideful angry because she said this in front of everybody in class. And I felt like, oh, man, they think I'm a bad teacher. Right? So that, that, that's pride. Right? Yeah, we can say, well, I'm speaking honestly, but what is our heart posture? Right? One way to know if we're operating pride is if that person does not take our advice right, or gets defensive, we'll be defensive back to them. And that's evidence that we're not really sharing for their benefit. Right? Because the Lord is patient with us when we don't listen to him. That's one kind of pride. Right? Prideful in sharing truth without graciousness. But then there's the other kind of pride Right, that doesn't share any truth at all and, and is just being nice. Right, Paul could have said to himself, you know what, I don't want to bring up this topic to the church. It's kind of uncomfortable. I, I don't want them to dislike me. I want them to like me more than Apollos. So I'm going to just not share this, this important truth that, 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 that will help them because they're, they're in a bad spot. But I don't want to say it because that, that, that might make my relationship with them weird. And so... Right? Sometimes we'll avoid the hard topic altogether because we don't want them to look down on us. We don't want them to not be our friends anymore. We're afraid that they'll snap back at us. And if you think about it, that, that is another form of pride because our focus is on ourselves, not upon what honors the Lord. I love how Tim Keller put it. He says it like this, a proud heart either enjoys or avoids confronting, but never with tears. Never confronting with tears. That makes sense? Right? Because tears show a, a genuine love for the person, a genuine breaking for the situation that they're in, the sin that they're struggling with. But a proud person maybe loves to fight, loves to put people down, or just avoids because, again, they don't want the, the inconvenience that comes with it. Paul here doesn't avoid confrontation, right? He doesn't come proud and arrogant and angry. He comes like a father that wants to see the best for his kids. That's humility. So how do we then grow? How do we grow to be humble like Christ? Let me just encourage us three ways that I, I, I saw in this text. First is this. It's, we grow in humility by recounting specific blessings in our lives so if we go back in verse 7 right paul asks the question what do you have that you didn't receive right, paul's getting the church to think think about what you have you receive that from god right growing in humility right is, is seeing god more and more as the giver of every good gift it reminds us we did not earn the things in our lives Right, the, the humble person is consumed and in, in awe with the generosity of God. That any thought that their effort was the reason for getting the blessings is just pushed aside. So I, I want to encourage us right, to, to make time in, in your time of prayer. Make time when you're with other Christians to share 
share specific ways that God has blessed you in the day. At the workplace, with your family, things in your life. One of the things we try to do as a family when we get together for dinner is we'll share uh, the highs in our day. At school, or at work, relationships. And as a family, that's just our way of, of saying, you know what? God gave us that gift. God blessed us. And so look for ways that you can build in time to think specifically, how has God blessed you? And what that does is it'll cultivate a heart of gratitude and remind us, oh yeah, we didn't learn that. God gave it to us graciously. Second is this, it's follow Jesus' example. Follow his example of humility. You know, Paul told the church to imitate him in verse 18. And right, not in a prideful way, right? No pride in, 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 that, in that command. But he's saying, imitate me. Uh, and he says, that's why I sent Timothy there, right, to represent Paul and to remind the church of how Paul lived. Now, here's the thing, right? We don't have Paul, the Apostle Paul, living with us right now. He, he's not a part of our church. Um, but we have the ultimate example, right? We have Jesus, the ultimate example of humility. He is our motivation, our example for humility and how we to treat others. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, right? This famous passage on the humility of Christ says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, put to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Right? This is the ultimate picture of humility. God himself becoming a servant. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom of many. If our king and our Lord Jesus, right, who is God, came to serve others, how much more should we, his followers, his people, serve others in our lives. Jesus is the ultimate picture of humility. Who specifically in our lives, right, is God leading us to, to serve out of a humble heart? Look to Jesus. Be motivated by Jesus, empowered by Jesus to grow in humility. And finally, here's the third way we grow in humility. It's to trust the Spirit's power. Back in the end of this chapter, Paul talks about right, the kingdom of God. It's not a matter of talk, but it's power. Power to change lives. Power to turn the proud and the self-reliant to humble and God-dependent. It's by the Holy Spirit that we overcome our timidity in sharing honest words with others. It's by the Spirit we overcome our impatience and unrighteous anger towards others and to love them graciously. Right? As, as we read about the apostles and how they suffered, how they endured just a whole ton of different trials and then were radically generous. Maybe we read this and we think to ourselves, there's no way we could do it. Right, that coworker that we're just having such a hard time with, that family member that we're struggling with, we think about serving them. We think about speaking a kind word to them. We're like, oh gosh, man, I, I can't do it. That's just too hard. 
And that's true, right? We can't do it. We can't love that coworker that's always bitter and complaining and just uh, really difficult that other people are avoiding. We can't love them. Or that family member right, who's always getting on us, always being sarcastic to us, putting us down, right? We, we can't speak kindly to them. Not on our own. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Right? The kingdom of God, it's not a matter of talk, but of power to change our very lives, to turn us from prideful humans to humble followers of Jesus. And so ask the Holy Spirit to help you in those situations. And then follow his word. That's a way of trusting him. Follow his word in loving that enemy, speaking kindly to those who have not speaking kindly to you. He gives us his spirit. Jesus himself, right, lived as the perfect human being, dependent on and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That same spirit that empowered Jesus to die on the cross for us is the same spirit empowering us to love that difficult worker, to speak kindly to that challenging family member. So meditate on that. That's the Holy Spirit that we have living in us. As we continually grow in this humility that God grows in us, look to Jesus as our perfect example who gave his life on the cross for us. Jesus submitted to the Father's plan joyfully to bring redemption to us so that we can then call others to Christ. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he is our example of what it looks like to live humbly, not a focus on ourselves, but to be consumed with the focus and and being in awe of who you are. This freedom of self-forgetfulness that we can now serve others around us, despite how they respond. And so, Lord, what we pray, Lord, is that you would grow us in this humility that is a, a grace from you. And really, it would seep into all areas of our lives, all relationships, as we look to the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, as we look to Jesus as our example. Continue, Lord, to, to um, grow our awareness of your presence in our lives through our time of singing, through our time of communion. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.